Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved people, dear family. How are you doing? I pray you are well always. God is in control. And you know what I didn't um, say early in the week is that if you are on the traditional calendar, this is Septuagesima. This is seven weeks prior to Easter. And it is the week of Septuagesima, which begins a minor Lenten penance or fast. And we, um, we celebrate that here um, in, um, uh, on the, in the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. We do. And um, it's a very, very special time. So each of the sisters picks a particular uh, penance that they will uh, keep during this time. And um, it's, a, it's just very, very beautiful. Uh, there's no alleluia said in the church. Uh, the, the vestments are purple. If you go to the Novus Ordo, which uh, many do, of course, you will not, you will not hear that. But uh, Dom Garanger, um, the abbot of St. Peter's in Salem, the first abbot, um, has written the, a 15-volume liturgical year. And so I would like to read today from um, the mystery of Septuagesima. Uh, we read it last night here in our community, and it's a very, very beautiful. The mystery of Septuagesima, which began this past Sunday. It's already Thursday, I know, but we began this past Sunday. And this coming Sunday will be Sexagesima, six weeks before Lent, and then Quinquagesima, uh, which will be um, uh, six weeks before Easter, rather, Quinquagesima, six week, five weeks before Easter. Uh, very, very beautiful to live the liturgical year. Let me just read you what Dom Garanger uh, writes about the mystery. If you want to look this up on the internet, just look up the liturgical year by Dom Prosper Garanger. And the one I'm looking at is liturgialatina.org, liturgialatina.org slash L-I-T year. Um, very, very beautiful. And you don't have to buy the 15-volume set. You can read the whole thing word for word, word for word online. So this is the mystery of Septuagesima, prior to which he had the history of Septuagesima. <clears throat> And he writes, the season upon which we are now entering is expressive of several profound mysteries. And I want to say that if those in the Novus Ordo or who grew up in it and never knew of this, I didn't know of it when I entered the church. I entered in the Novus Ordo, never knew of all this. And the more we find out, the more... Um, the closer to heaven our hearts become because it's so beautiful. And uh, in a sense, we were robbed of all this, but it's still ours. There's no reason to live life without it. It's all over the place. Good publishers, internet, uh, Latin masses, Latin churches, 
um, you can still have it all. It's all yours. Um, so again, Dom Garanger writes, The season upon which we are now entering is expressive of several profound mysteries. But these mysteries belong not only to the three weeks which are preparatory to Lent, they continue throughout the whole period of time which separates us from the great feast of Easter. The number seven is the basis of all these mysteries. We have already seen how the Holy Church came to introduce the season of Septuagesima into her calendar, and that is in the previous article, The History of Lent, which we have not read, but again, you can find that even online. Um, And he says, let us now meditate on the doctrine um, hid under the symbols of her liturgy. And first... Let us listen to St. Augustine, who thus gives us the clue to the whole of our season's mysteries. There are two times, says the holy doctor, one which is now and is spent in the temptations and tribulations of this life, the other which shall be then and shall be spent in eternal security and joy. In figure of these, we celebrate two periods, the time before Easter and the time after Easter. That which is before Easter signifies the sorrow of this present life. That which is after Easter, the blessedness of our future state. Hence it is that we spend the first in fasting and prayer, and in the second we give up our fasting and give ourselves to praise. The before Easter is our earthly sojourn. The after Easter is our heavenly sojourn. The church, the interpreter of the sacred scriptures, often speaks to us of two places which correspond with these two times of St. Augustine. These two places are Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon is the image of this world of sin in the midst whereof the Christian has to spend his years of probation. Jerusalem is the heavenly country where he is to repose after all his trials. The people of Israel, whose whole history is but one great type of the human race, was banished from Jerusalem and kept in bondage in Babylon. Now this captivity, which kept the Israelite exiles from Sion, lasted 70 years, and it is to express this mystery as Alcuin, Uh, Amalarius and Ivo of Chart and all the great liturgists tell us that the church fixed the number of 70 for the days of expiation. It is true there are but 63 days between Septuagesima and Easter and that's because the church doesn't count Sundays. But the church, according to the style so continually used in the second sacred scriptures, uses the round, I didn't mean second, I mean sacred scriptures, uses the round number instead of the literal and precise one. The duration of the world itself, according to the ancient Christian tradition, is divided into seven ages. I bet you're going to recognize these as I say them. The human race must pass through seven ages before the dawning of the day of eternal life. The first age included the time from the creation of of Adam to Noah, 
the second begins with Noah and the renovation of the earth by the deluge and ends with the vocation of Abraham. The third opens with this first formation of God's chosen people and continues as far as Moses, through whom God gave the law. The fourth consists of the period between Moses and David, in whom the house of Judah received the kingly power. The fifth is formed of the years which passed between David's reign and the captivity of Babylon, inclusively the sixth dates from the return of the Jews to Jerusalem and takes us on as far as the birth of our Savior. And then finally comes the seventh age. It starts with the rising of this merciful Redeemer, the Son of Justice, and is to continue till the dread coming of the judge of the living and the dead. These are the seven um, great divisions of time, after which eternity. In order to console us in the midst of the combats which so thickly beset our path, the church, like a beacon shining amidst the darkness of this our earthly abode, shows us another seven which is to succeed the one we are now preparing to pass through. After the Septuagesima of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, we shall have the bright Easter with its seven weeks of gladness. Not just Easter Day, beloved. It's the octave and seven weeks of gladness, foreshadowing the happiness and bliss of heaven. After, <clears throat> after gladness... Hold on a moment. After having fasted with our Jesus and suffered with him, the day will come when we shall rise with him and our hearts shall follow him to the highest heavens and then a brief interval. We shall feel descending upon us the Holy Ghost. He's describing now the time between Easter and Pentecost with his seven gifts, the celebration of all those wondrous joys which will take us seven weeks, as the great liturgists observe in their interpretation of the rites of the great, um, sorry, the rites of the church. The seven joyous weeks from Easter to Pentecost will not be too long for the future glad mysteries, which after all will be but figures of a still gladder time, the future of eternity. Let me say as I uh, did not say at the beginning of the program that we are now taking calls um, uh, the entire hour. We will take your emails um, and we'll take your texts as well, but feel free to call regarding what we are speaking about or anything else on your heart whatsoever. And the toll-free number is one 511 5483 And again, the phones are open the entire hour. You do not need to wait to the second break. There we come, the music for our first break, dear ones, and we'll be right back after the break.
Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Dear ones, to Mother Miriam live. I am live. I'm happy to be with you. And I'm thrilled to be um, bringing you the reading from Dom Prosper Garanger on the liturgical year, beginning now this week of Septuagesima, seven weeks before Easter. And this coming Sunday, we will be in Sexagesima, six weeks before Easter, and then the following Quinquagesima, five weeks before Easter. It's just it's so beautiful, beloved, to live, not just show up in church on Easter, but really to live the liturgical year and walk with our Lord through Lent, through his wilderness journey, through the entire year to walk with him. It's so, so meaningful. Every day is in a season. It is no ordinary time in the old calendar. Every day is in a season where either before Easter or after Easter, before Pentecost or after Pentecost, before Epiphany or after Epiphany, we always know where we are in the year and in the season. Um, Let me see where we left off here. And we're we're reading from the uh, liturgical year by Dom Garanger, the mystery of Septuagesima, and he says, having heard these sweet whisperings of hope, 
let us now bravely face the realities brought before us by our dear Mother the Church. And again, um, if I didn't say it at the start of this uh, new segment, uh, you're welcome to call in from now on, anytime during the entire hour. Our lines are wide open. You don't have to wait till this second um, half hour. And the toll-free number again is one eight seven seven. It could be a question of what we're reading or talking about um, or anything on your heart. We are sojourners upon this earth. We are exiles and captives in Babylon, that city which plots our ruin. That's why, dear ones, when we pray, Hail Holy Queen, we say, After this, our exile. Show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus, because we are in exile from our homeland, from our motherland. If we love our country, Dom Geringer says, if we long to return to it, we must be proof against the lying allurements, L-Y-I-N-G, lying allurements of this strange land and refuse the cup she proffers us. Um, and with which she maddens so many of our fellow captives. She invites us to join in her feasts and her songs, but we must unstring our harps and hang them on the willows that grow on her river's bank. Um, Let me just see something here. Okay, we're good. Um, And in fact, that's the... um, uh, We must un... Uh, unstring our harps and hang them on the willows that grow on her river's bank until the signal be given for our return to Jerusalem. She will ask us to sing to her the melodies of our dear Zion. That's the most heartbreaking psalm to me, beloved. And we pray it here every Wednesday night in the Benedictine Diurnal, the Liturgy of the Hours, Benedictine. According to the old calendar, how shall we who are so far from home have a heart to sing the song of the Lord in a strange land. No, there must be no sign that we are content to be in bondage or we shall deserve to be slaves forever. Beloved, this is not our home. Don't settle into it. Don't be content with it. And don't be over anxious or over angry. We're passing through. God is giving us the trials we're in, dear ones. And... Um, we will be in his time in our motherland, in our heavenly home forever. This it, We are in exile here. So if it's not perfect in the way we want it, or we're particularly um, bombarded with immorality and trials, we know that we're on our way home. And that our heavenly Father has given these trials to us to perfect us and to warn those who have not yet given their lives to him, that they have very little time. These are the sentiments wherewith the church would inspire us during the penitential season now, which we are now beginning in Septuagesima. She wishes us to reflect on the dangers that beset us, dangers which arise from our own selves and from creatures. During the rest of the year, she loves to hear us chant the song of heaven, the sweet Alleluia. But now she bids us close our lips to this word of joy because we are in Babylon. 
We are pilgrims absent from our Lord. It's difficult for those who follow the old calendar and the liturgical year to go to the Novus Ordo Parish and hear Alleluia sung and see green vestments and all of that. It's, it's a very difficult thing that the church is so split like that. <clears throat> Let us, says Dom Geringer, keep our glad hymn for the day of this return. We are sinners and have but too often held fellowship with the world of God's enemies. Let us become purified by repentance, for it is written that praise is unseemly in the mouth of a sinner. That's Ecclesiasticus. The leading feature, then, of Septuagesima is the total suspension of the Alleluia. We suspend it at Mass. We suspend it during the liturgy, the hours. We don't say Alleluia. We say Laus Tibi Domine, Rex Eterne Gloriae. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of eternal glory. The Alleluia is not to be again heard upon the earth until the arrival of that happy day when having suffered death with our Jesus and having been buried together with him, we shall rise again with him to a new life. Colossians chapter 2. The sweet hymn of the angels, Gloria in Excelsis Dei, Deo, which we have sung every Sunday since the birth of our Savior in Bethlehem, is also taken from us. It is only on the Feast of Saints, which may be kept during the week, that we shall be allowed to repeat it. The night office of the Sunday is all um, is to lose also from now on till Easter its magnificent Ambrosian hymn, Deum, which is Matins. And at the end of the Holy Sacrifice, the deacon will no longer dismiss the faithful with his solemn Ite Missa Est. The Mass is ended. Go, the Mass is ended no longer, but will simply invite them to continue their prayers in silence and bless the Lord, the God of mercy, who bears with us, notwithstanding all our sins. After the gradual of the Mass, and if you're going to the Novus Ordo, um, you don't, you haven't experienced much of this, but you can get any Latin Missal and see it. After the gradual of the Mass, instead of the three repeated, the thrice repeated Alleluia, which prepared our hearts to listen to the voice of God in the Holy Gospel, we shall hear but a mournful and protracted chant called on that account the tract. That the eye, too, may teach us that the season we are entering on is one of mourning. The church will vest her ministers both on Sundays and the days of during the week, which are not feasts of saints, in the somber purple. And until Ash Wednesday, she permits the deacon to wear his dalmatic and the subdeacon his tunic. But from that day forward, they must lay aside these vestments of joy. For Lent will then have begun, and our Holy Mother will inspire us with the deep spirit of penance by suppressing everything of that glad pomp which she loves at other seasons to bring into the sanctuary of her God. Oh, dear ones, um, it's just so very beautiful. It's so very beautiful. And um, we are now, um, let me see here, um, Lent. 
have um, in the season of Septuagesima, um, and then we have the practice during Septuagesima, uh, morning and night prayers, uh, on hearing Mass, on Holy Communion, on the Office of Vespers and Compline. We won't go through all that, dear ones, um, but what we will help tomorrow um, is with um, um, the mystery of sex Sexagesima which will mean that we are six weeks away um, from, from Easter. You know what I would do now, dear ones? I would begin to prepare. You know, in our um, community here, the sisters must give the superior, or the prioress, me in this case, um, they must write down the penances that they will keep during Lent. And they must um, uh, write down with that a book or uh, uh, whatever um, uh, penances, rather the book that they will read to meditate on the death of Christ, on his cross, on the passion during Lent. You should do that as well. Um, I think it would be wonderful. Hold on just a moment. I'm, I'm looking something up here. I think it would be absolutely wonderful if you did the same with your children. They could be two years old. And you can explain it to them. And they could come to you and say, Mommy, um, I want to pray rosary. Whatever they say. Um, let them each put on paper, because it's a little more of a commitment on paper, a little more definition for them, and give to you what they're going to do through the entire penitential season. And this way you can check it, because some, at least on my end, some women want to do too much. And they want to sleep on the floor, they want to do all kinds of things, and I need to moderate that um, for their sake, for their health, and for their holiness. Um, sometimes, I remember the, the film on St. Teresa of the Angies, um, she begged the superior for penances. And the superior said, no, I've given you enough. And she said, oh, please, Mother Superior, please let me do a penance. And the Mother Superior gave her for a penance to do no penances. And that was a huge penance for her, that she was forbidden to do a penance. So uh, Mother knows her children, and you know your children. And I would say, Mom and Dad, let your children, from two years old to a hundred years old, however old they are, if they're still at home, let them put on paper to you what, how they're going to spend this penitential season, starting now, Septuagesima, and if you don't follow that, the, the at least the week before Lent, they should give that to you on paper so that they could begin um, the first day of the first week of Lent, um, or on on. Um, Yes, the first week of Lent. They should give all that to you before Lent. And this way, they're committed to it on paper, and you have the paper um, to hold them accountable, which is very, very, very good when we hold each other accountable, not to lord it over anyone, but to say, have you done what you have purposed to do? Um, okay, dear ones, there's the music for our second break. And again, um, we will come back and take your calls and your emails and your texts. Um, I think we have a caller on the line. I'm so sorry. But when we come back, um, we have Lisa from New York. Lisa, God bless you, dear one, for holding on. We'll be back after the break, and we'll take your call, and the lines are wide open for anyone else, toll-free. Um, one, and 
have Dee from Rochester, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 17th. Today we celebrate the seven founders of the Servite Order. What is the likelihood of seven prominent men who live in a cultured, prosperous city agreeing to leave their homes and professions and taking up a communal life of self-denial? That's precisely what seven noblemen of Florence, Italy did in the year 1240. They withdrew from the city, relocated, and moved to a secluded setting for solitude, prayer, and penance. At least, that was their goal. But the men soon found themselves disturbed by constant visitors from nearby Florence, and so they withdrew to the deserted slopes of Monte Scenario. Visitors found their way to the new location as well, many of whom stayed to join the group. They adopted a religious habit similar to that worn by Dominicans, chose to live under Augustinian rule, and called themselves the Servites, or the Order of Friars Servants of Mary. Community members combined monastic life and active ministry. In the monastery, they led a life of prayer, work, and silence, while also engaging in parish work, teaching, and preaching. Servites came to the U.S. from Austria in 1852, settling in New York and later in Philadelphia. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, I am live, and I'm very happy to be so. And um, with you, uh, we have a, a half hour, and again, as of now, we are taking calls for the full hour every single day for you to call in either with what we're speaking about or something on your heart. And we have a call from Lisa from New York. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Mother Miriam. Thank you so much for all you do for your faith service. I recently uh, became aware of you uh, from LifeSight, and I felt it heavy on my heart to give you a call with your wisdom uh, and knowledge. My son is going to be marrying a Protestant girl, and her father's a pastor of an evangelical church, and he's doing the wedding, and he is in the process of trying to get a dispensation of form for the wedding, but the bishop's office has just informed him that it looks very unlikely. I mean, they haven't rejected it yet, but they said because it's going to be done out in the garden where the reception is, that it should be in a church. And each bishop's office has the judgment to make a decision like that. Some 
particular archdiocese might decide that's okay, but his office is more stringent, and they told him it doesn't look very likely. So in the event that they don't grant the dispensation, he would be engaging in an invalid wedding, and that would mean that he would be a really uh, a Catholic who passively has abandoned his faith unless right. he tries to ask his his fiance to go for a convalidation after the wedding and then have the sacrament in the Catholic Church and just have a Catholic ceremony. But if he doesn't do that, it's my understanding that he can no longer receive the sacraments, for example, right. the sacrament of Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to know, I asked the bishop's office, and they're, they're of the opinion in my diocese that he really shouldn't receive, he would be receiving unworthily, and he can't really be a practicing Catholic, that he could sit at Mass all he wants, and he's basically passively surrendered and not really being able to practice his faith. Is that correct, Mother? I think you're absolutely correct, but I would eliminate the word passively. He's actively uh, denying his faith. He's actively turning from Christ. Um, if he got married and that if they... Uh, granted, if the bishop's office granted him that dispensation and he got married in the yard of an evangelical church, what would he be practicing? Would he be coming to the Catholic Church? Um, he is very resolute in his faith. We raised him, my husband and I. Uh, he's a devout Catholic. However, this pastor has been doing all the counseling instead of pre-Cana. And they're trying to convert him suddenly. Of course they are. Of course they are. He's, I tell you, Lisa, you raised him Catholic. You may believe he's a devout Catholic, but there is no devout Catholic that would get married in a Protestant church. Somewhere, his, his armor has a chink in it. He's no longer a devout Catholic if he wants a dispensation from getting married in the Catholic Church. I don't want to hurt you by that, but that's, that's the reality. He is turning his back on Christ, is what he's doing, uh, by getting married in the Protestant Church, even if he were granted that dispensation. To begin with, our faith says not to marry outside the faith. He shouldn't be marrying a Protestant. I understand that he can, but they should be getting married in the church, and his wife would need to agree to raise the children Catholic. Otherwise, he is turning his back on Christ, and um, he can come to the Catholic Church. I don't know if she'll ever come with him. Yes, he will not be able to receive the sacrament, but he's really turned his back on Christ. Um, It's very serious. And so, um, um, I would not go through with that wedding at all. I would not attend it in your place, Lisa, and I would absolutely not go through with it. If the bishop's office refuses, he is allowed to get that dispensation, but then he's not going to be living his faith. Um, And why would the priest grant a convalidation if he wouldn't to begin with marry them? What's the point of a convalidation? Well, I can understand it from the Protestant woman's point of view, but... um, uh, it'll be uh, for him to marry a woman who's not Catholic when she will have the the great responsibility, if he's working and she's at home, of raising those children. They will not be Catholic. Uh, he will be turning his children away from God. They will not be Catholic. He has the great gift 
of being Catholic, of having received all the sacraments, of having been raised in a faithful Catholic home, and he will have been, and he is rejecting it. I know emotions are strong, but that's the reality. He is rejecting it. He's going against scripture, he's going against the church, and he cannot call himself a devout Catholic and hardly a Catholic because if he's married outside the church, um, uh, he, um, he will be living in basically mortal sin because he will I be know. in fornication uh, he's, if he's not married before God. He's 31 years old and an adult, and uh, we've been told by our other family members who are devoutly Catholic that we have tried everything we can do, and we can't enforce or he, we could alienate our son completely, and that might not be good for creating harmony uh, with the person that he's chosen that he loves. But, I mean, I would be breaking up their relationship, and maybe he would never forgive us. Well, his soul is more important. His soul is more important than his distancing himself from you. His soul is what matters. Harmony harmony is not what... Go ahead, tell me. He he told us that uh, love conquers all in Scripture, and that he feels from speaking with her, because they had a meeting, and my son... Uh, reacclaimed his faith in Christ and the Catholic faith. He made it known to her in front of the priest that he's going to raise his children Catholic. And, you know, he, he is devoutly Catholic, and she knows it. And the priest said uh, that he feels that there's a conversion that can take place, and maybe we shouldn't interfere and allow it to, to work itself out, that he feels she's very... Um, amenable to a conversion after they're married, and that takes some time, and we continue to pray, and that the bishops in the Catholic Church have come to a different understanding that you don't want to just disregard the Protestant, that you want to try to create unity and pray for the conversion while you're attending the wedding and after they're married. So he's taking a more liberal stance that she's convertible, that, that that could happen, and he's seen it. He said he's seen many times, and the marriages are the strongest. And he feels she is, from speaking with her, um, very uh, teachable in that regard. So I don't know if I want to break this up and just say to him, I'm going to control your life, and you must stay Catholic, and, and if it means leaving her and just disregarding her and breaking it off. I mean, do I have a right to do that? No, you do not. You are not controlling a 31-year-old man's life. You are not dictating whether he marries this girl or not. What you're saying to him is that you say you're devout Catholic. A devout Catholic does not get married outside the Catholic Church, number one. Um, A devout Catholic who says he wants to raise his children Catholic has to realize he will not do that with a Protestant mother. The mother's with them all day while he's at work, and she's not going to teach the children the sacraments and the rosary from two years old on. There's no way. They're going to be Protestant. Um, And, uh, you know, the whole church um, has fallen pretty much, Lisa. You've just described it. Unity is important. Harmony is important. You don't want to defend. You want to accompany people. You want to... And they've lost the faith. God says nothing of this. Nothing of unity 
outside of truth. Outside of truth, there's absolutely no unity. Your son is dreaming. If he says he wants to raise his children Catholic, he will not. Um, There are many um, mixed marriages where the one spouse does convert to Catholicism. It also sometimes happens the other way. Um, It also sometimes never happens. People marry and say, I'll convert him or I'll convert her or he'll convert or she'll convert. And so many marriages break up. And I get calls and I get letters. Um, my spouse said that they would, he or she would, um, would allow us to raise the children Catholic, but they didn't truly understand what that meant and they don't want it now. And I can't take them to church. Or she won't come with us or he won't come with us. Lisa, it's not for you to control your son. It's not for you to break them up. It's not for you to do anything but pray and tell them what is true. And I would say for you not to go, this is your business, but not to go to that marriage and you'll show him the seriousness of it. You can say to them, I'm sorry, I I want you to have a good life, but you are being unequally yoked. A Catholic Christian and a non-Catholic Christian is not equally yoked, as Apostle Paul says in Corinthians. You are being unequally yoked. I may not come, not I don't want to come, I may not come to that wedding because I would be affirming you in sin and I don't want to do that. Um, Now, you won't come to the wedding. It doesn't mean that you can't have anything to do with them after the wedding, but to go to the wedding or the reception would be to support them in this. And I would not do that. I explained this to him. Yes, Mother. I explained all this and I did say at first we wouldn't go to the wedding and that you're not in they're not in full communion with the Catholic Church. The Protestants are protesters, and that what he's doing is wrong. I did explain all this to him. Uh, he knows we're the one true church, church, and yet I think his emotions are blinding him. Yeah. And, you know, the, the father also, her father, who is the pastor, he told my son that he's unequally yoked. That's right. Of course, of course, of course. He he thinks that the false faith, he's a pastor, and his daughter, your son's uh, fiance, is is not going to be very amenable to Catholicism. God could do anything on her heart. Well, Lisa, you told them, uh, her own father told them, and I think it needs to be left at that. It needs to be his decision. And, Do you think uh, it's okay if I call her parents and talk to the father about this, or should I not be involved? I think you should not be involved. Your son is 31. Let him live his own life. All right, Mother. That's what well, I would God do. bless you. If you bring Thank both you. of them... You reaffirmed my feeling yeah. anyway. <laughs> well, his soul matters, not harmony, not relationship, which is important. Our Lord prayed that we be one as he and the Father are one, but there's no unity apart from truth. Absolutely none. He's making a wrong decision, and it will be his to live out. And we could always pray that she does convert and that he really does live his Catholic faith, but he's not going to be able to with a wife that's not Catholic, nor raise his children Catholic. He's dreaming. I see. I I agree with you. It's a very hard trial, but as you spoke about earlier, Mm -hmm. we have these trials now. That's right. It's very difficult. I may alienate him by not attending, and I'm going to have to live with that. (laughs) You will. And and don't 
uh, come against Protestantism, that they're not the true church. Don't attack them as her father attacked the Catholic Church. Don't do that. Just speak what is Catholic. You have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. You are in the church Christ established. If you turn your back on it for your wedding, you are um, going to be denying Christ. And if you don't have a dispensation and you turn your back, you will be excommunicated. Oh, I didn't realize that. I just thought he could still go to Mass, but he can't receive the Eucharist. No, he'll be excommunicated. He would have to come and, and confession and come back to the church in order for him to receive the Eucharist again. All right. Thank you, okay. Mother, for this help. I'm swaying on my okay. heart. God bless you. Okay, God bless you, too. Um, we have Dee on the line and Karen. And we'll take your calls as soon as we come back from the break, dear ones. Um, don't go away. Toll-free number 1-877-511-5483 and email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-866-628-2277. Love really indicates where our values are, where our priorities are, and it shows our true love of God. You mentioned the thermometer of love, Father. In entry 343 of the diary, it begins, True love is measured by the thermometer of suffering. Tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu Ufam Tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our final segment, about 10 minutes, and we have Dee from Rochester, New York, on the line. Hello, Dee. Hello, uh, Mother. Uh, prayers for the previous caller, and I have a little Thank different you. subject. Um, I don't know if you're aware, Mother, that there has been a candidate uh, up uh, uh, before the um, uh, Senate uh, hearings this past week. I think Tuesday was maybe the last. Uh, it was recorded on um, C-SPAN if people want to get a hold of it. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing they can also check on, on uh, line uh, the lady's background. But um, uh, this uh, candidate, Sohn, S-O-H-N is her name, <clears throat> has, a, has an uneven-handed uh, background. And that can be uh, checked, of course, uh, to, to evaluate. But uh, I really believe that uh, uh, it would affect all communication, uh, this particular <laughs> candidate, and uh, especially, I think, our EWTN and, and Catholic communications. So um, I would urge uh, maybe yourself for prayer and for action uh, to uh, call your senator mm -hmm. and um, or email your senator uh, uh, regarding after you, if you evaluate this this uh, candidate uh, who is very 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 bad uh, and quite leftist um, uh, to the left and uh, it will be no good for the country I agree with you left but very uneven-handed and uh, with a history so that is not a good candidate and, and you know it, it would would not be it not would be for all sides uh, it, it should be someone who who um, evaluates all sides even-handedly. Well, I tell you what, um, uh, Dee, um, our government has become so corrupt. There are very few people in there, uh, including the Federal Communications Commission, who evaluate people um, as they should. Uh, there's, there's hardly a spot we could find any more that is not uh, underhanded. Um, and in sync with the evil agenda. You're very right. You're very right. Um, so maybe contacting um, our representatives might be, uh, might be helpful. I don't know. Um, um, it, it, this is not a good appointment. This is not a good nominee, Gigi Son. Um, and I'm not so concerned about that as I am about the people that our own Holy Father is putting in office. That's more tragic. Yes, yes. But it's certainly worth a try. And, and if they don't hear from us, then they just believe, then whoever That's right. is evaluating. Some of the centers that, that spoken, some people can go to C-SPAN if they're computer savvy, and I think they can get the copies of this last week and this week's hearings. Mm -hmm. And um, But if they don't hear from us, then, then, then yeah. it's it's carte blanche, so, which is not not very good. Some of the senators that spoke, Senator um, Cruz, and a number of them spoke very well. Uh, and uh, I think I think um, anybody that that is is uh, close to EWTN or any kind of media, you don't even have to be a Catholic. That's right. Mm -hmm. See, even handedness is 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 the case. It's yeah, very, it is very dangerous, very crucial not to have uh, the even-handed. Um, I agree. Uh, I agree, and it's it's what uh, Edmund Burke years ago said: the only thing 
for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing. So I'm, I'm with you all the way, Dee. God bless you for that call. Ed, and then um, certainly it's worth a try. It is, absolutely. It's better than doing nothing. And we should never give up because they say, well, the government's corrupt. They're, not, they're going to do it anyway. No, we must do our part. Okay, God bless you, Dee, and thank you for your call. We have Karen um, uh, in Boston. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning, Mother. Is this um, my friend, Karen? Hi. Uh, no, I don't think I've spoken to you before. Oh, okay. No, I, I have a Karen in Boston who writes me all the time, so I didn't know if oh, you were she. Okay, good. No, no. And she was also I raised Protestant. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, maybe that's a trend here in Boston. I don't. All know. right, I like that. <laughs> so, I have, um, like I said, I grew up Protestant, and um, I went to um, Protestant church and to camp with my great aunt. Had a Protestant church, I mean Protestant camp, summer camp, and my that was when I really felt my love for the Lord and. Um, I continued through, and in my 20s, I kind of got away a little bit, like, you know, got a little crazy and, and all with, with being that age. And then um, I came back to being, wanted to be really involved in learning more, and then the hunger really grew, and um, I started a, uh, there was a Bible study in my neighborhood with Protestant and Catholic women, and it was, we discussed our differences, but the love for the Lord was there. And then after that, we, um, I, I started listening to Catholic radio, and I just was like, wow, I, you know, this is going to fill that void that I really wanted. I, I wanted the structure. I wanted the history. I wanted to be able to just, you know, have the ability to go to church every day if I really wanted to, which was wonderful. And um, I I just, um, so I started going to the Catholic Church. I didn't take communion. I would go walk up and get a blessing. And um, I had been married for a little while when I was much younger. I got married to my high school sweetheart, and um, we got divorced. We um, did have one child during our marriage. Um, but when I met my, um, husband who this weekend will be our 29th wedding anniversary, he was Catholic, um, and he was not actively going to church. Um, so he was like, oh, okay, we'll get married in the Protestant church, which we did. And, um, so, uh, as my life grew with him and we had more children together, um, like I said, we... And I ended up having this earning to become Catholic. I did go through an annulment, which they felt was um, proper, and it I was. know that I, <clears throat> yeah, they they they. It, I went through the, that, but I still continued to go to the Catholic Church, and he started to come too. And um, we weren't taking communion, and then they had. Um, something at church prior, just prior to me having my annulment issue starting was, um, we could go and he went over, they went over everything, um, all the different reasons for things and, um, you know, all the different, um, I can't explain what are the words I want. I'm sorry, mother. It's the uh, rights, the sacraments and right. Uh Uh-huh. Like RCIA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, 
it was almost good that he relearned. He didn't all know this. his own because faith, you're right? A child, mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah, you don't always remember those things. And so I have him now going to mass every weekend, and my daughter is engaged, and she's getting married in March to um, a Catholic gentleman, which is wonderful because my husband, the church they're going to, is a little bit far away from us, but his parents brought him there when he was young. And to come to find out, my daughter's fiancé's great-great-grandparents were the first ones to ever be married in that church. And that's mm-hmm. Interesting. Karen, I'm going, to introdu- I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, dear one, because we have 30 yes. seconds to the... the uh, right I now, there's the closing music. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, your situation... Yeah, absolutely. Your situation is much different than Lisa's son. Uh, you know that because you're the the man you married wasn't he said he was catholic but he wasn't practicing uh a whole different situation than someone who calls himself a devout catholic and has a great responsibility to whom much is given much is expected so um are have you entered the church yet i'm sorry have you entered the catholic church And your oh, husband? Yes, yes. Has your husband gone back to confession and, and entered too? Yeah, we both did. Yep, oh. we both do. We Blessed be God. All right, you dear one. His God's mercies are new every morning. God bless you. That's a good story. Um, and we'll speak with you all tomorrow.